saying that your company does artificial intelligence might still have a slightly cool ring to it if you're talking to one of your peers at a conference, uh, but it doesn't mean very much to venture capitalists today who've been battered with machine learning and artificial intelligence in every pitch deck they've seen for the last three or four years. I wondered, from a venture capitalist perspective, what makes an AI company's value proposition actually strong? What is it that makes an AI firm actually seem like a company that maybe could use AI to really win in the market? Not just to be another company that says they're going to do it or says they are doing it, but where can it actually provide enough of that competitive edge to make a VC want to pull the trigger? And I think whether you're listening right now and you run your own company and you're wondering where and when you might leverage artificial intelligence, or whether you work at a big firm and you're thinking about what business processes or what products you might launch that might involve artificial intelligence, I think getting a grasp of that, the answer to that question would be pretty critical. We speak this week with Tim Chang. He is a partner at Mayfield Fund in Menlo Park, California. Tim and I both spoke at the TransTech conference uh, held every year in Silicon Valley, focused on sort of wellness and health-related technologies. Uh, Nicole, who puts on the event, was kind enough to invite us both and then to introduce us. I told her we were doing some interviews with VCs around sort of competitive analysis of, of business models and understanding what a competitive edge is, and she was kind enough to put me in touch with Tim. So Tim dives in with us for about 20 minutes from a VC's perspective, talking about what is it about an AI company's pitch, an AI company's product, uh, the market that they're in, that actually makes artificial intelligence not just a me-too, but potentially an enhancement to the business in a way that's compelling to someone who wants to invest potentially millions and millions of dollars. So without further ado, this is Tim Chang and I'm Dan Fagella. You're listening here to AI in Industry. Let's dive in. So Tim, where I wanted to jump off to first here is looking at sort of the competitive dynamics of AI. We did a, a pretty big interview series out in the Bay Area where I know you are based around sort of what the appeal is for AI-based startups for venture firms. And now we're really looking at competitiveness specifically. When you look at a company that's leveraging AI, machine learning, or data in a way that really seems to bode well for their ability to break their way into and kind of dominate a, a sector or a space, what are those factors? What are, what are kind of the tactics and strategies that you kind of see involved that seem to correlate in your mind with what could be a very successful and dominant firm? Well, honestly, I think we've shifted to an era where firms harness AI and have the talent and proprietary data sets you know, to arm their AI are just not going to exist. I think AI uh, machine learning is going to have such sweeping effect in terms of better understanding what your clients want 24-7, serving them on an almost one-to-one -one personal level, concierge-like touch 24-7 at scale to every single person while reducing the cost basis relative to human labor or everything else out there on the cost side. This will have such sweeping dramatic effect that I dare say a majority of companies won't exist anymore in 20 years if they don't. 10 years if they don't harness this because it will be table stakes at this poker game. It won't even be a competitive advantage. It'll be like if you don't have this, the other large platforms will make your business go away. Yeah. Well, I, I'm on board with you there in many spaces. I do think that you know, let's say something like e-commerce might be a little bit faster moving than let's say carpet manufacturing, Tim. You know, I'm sure you'd probably agree that the distribution may be slightly varied by sector or by geography. You know, Indian retail may be a little bit later than, let's say, American retail. But yeah, I think given a long enough time horizon, and, and you're pretty bullish on this, talk to me a little bit about, you know, I have my own visions and perspectives on where that'll go. But honestly, you know, I have you here for yours. When you think about 
what that making obsolete will be. You know, there will be a company in everything from e-commerce, we already have our Amazon here, to carpet manufacturing, where there's a real dominant player. And from your perspective, and I definitely share your sentiment, the firms that aren't leveraging proprietary data to, you know, enhance their products and experience are eventually going to go by the way the dinosaurs. How those dynamics play out? In other words, like, okay, so the people tuned in, you know, they might be in making jet engines, they might be in carpet cleaning, they might be in marketing services. So companies that, that don't use AI are going to go away here. The firms who do really win and dominate, what are they going to do well? How do you like to word it and nutshell it? Let's take two cuts at this. We'll look at AI applied to horizontal markets, where you will take existing applications and turbocharge the capabilities of workers with those tools and applications with AI. And then we'll take the second cut, which is by vertical. And this will be specialists in verticals like aerospace or healthcare, pharma, whatever it is that leverage uh, AI and machine learning to better innovate on products. So on the first cut in horizontal, every business plan we see today is take successful existing application by line of business, whether it's human resource management, customer relationship management, customer support software, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, add AI machine learning, get 10x productivity out of one-tenth of the staff. Quick example, one of our star companies in our portfolio, outreach.io up in Seattle, basically has machine learning applied to helping salespeople write better sales emails. So imagine a plug-in in your Gmail or your Outlook and salesperson is about to dash off a sales email and the system says, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute before you send that. Let me rewrite that for you because based on the billions of emails I see and the open rates and the engagement rates, I know that these specific phrases will get a better open rate. And so that in a case is turbocharging salesperson to be able to better write emails, but not hard to imagine after a while that the machine would just write better emails than any human period, right? Repeat that playbook for all the existing apps out there, the CRM, marketing automation, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line. Frankly, I think big parts of my own job as a venture capitalist probably done better by an AI eventually too. The second cut on the verticals, if you have AI as a better way to map out and do product R&D, something I like to think about AI is it can map out and simulate all of the permutations, all the edge cases, all possible scenarios faster, quicker, and less biased than humans can sometimes, depending if you set it up correctly. So let's take in the case of, say, small molecule discovery in the pharma industry yep, yep. rather than trial and error by humans. You know, you can kind of turbocharge that and say, here, you have the machine learning, look at all this and start creating all the possible samples and permutations. At first, the humans are there to judge which cases are novel and worth further exploration, but eventually even that might be able to be something mm -hmm. that uh, the machine can spot out the notable examples as well. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more about verticals in just a second, and, and pharma is a big, big space for us in terms of the companies that pay for research and companies that pay for advertising to reach our pharma listeners. Uh, we, we love that sector a lot. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more, but you talked about horizontals, and this is something that, that we really saw drummed up a lot in our previous kind of big investor series, and I think is an important dynamic for people to understand. I want to see if I'm on the same page with you. Essentially, you take any given function, you figure out what correlates to success across a whole bunch of different different factors and features and, and situations for that function, you know, whether it's sales outreach, whether it's lead scoring for, you know, selling whatever it is, whether it's, you know, some kind of email marketing, whether it's some kind of conversational interface, whatever the case may be, you take some function, you get enough instances under enough scenarios to train a system. And then at some point, your system out of the box 
trained on all these other instances is so much smarter than any other system, no matter who gets funded, how much they're funded by and all this, because you're the one drinking in all the new instances. Just like Google, it's really hard to build a better general search engine than Google, in part because yes, of course, the technology is hard to replicate, but also because how are you going to get that many people searching your system to refine it the way that Google does. They dominate the instances. They get to train off the instances and make this thing up to the millisecond hyper-relevant for everybody. Unless you can get a hand on that data, then you're not going to catch up. So the thought is you find a function that you can own. You get a critical mass of people to use only you until the point comes when it is clear that you are better than anything else out of the box. Then they continue to only use you, and then you continue to spiral away with kind of monopolistic dominance in the way that Google and Amazon has. Is this the general gist, Tim, or do you have some color that you want to throw on that in terms of adding some detail or luster to that general idea? The playbook for enterprise software I've seen with this would be piggyback on an existing behavior, existing application. Behavior change is really hard in trying to get new markets to go. So instead of doing away you know, with that salesperson, ride on top of what the salesperson already does. For example, hence the plugin into email or salesforce.com. Yeah. Learn from that provided that you have the instrumentation set up to see what are win cases that you want to reinforce. And nowadays, all business is done you know, via digital and email and whatnot, where you're going to tracking pixels, engagement checks, all that kind of stuff so that you have a feedback loop. And so you can be able to instrument and be able to analyze have analytics on what the positive conditions are you want to train for. And then if you have enough corpus of data, in this case, millions of emails go out a day, right? And then as you're adopted as this plugin onto those enterprise applications, your system learns on top of it and provides benefits benefits by seeing not just the emails and the workflow of the employees within the same corporation, but of employees across all corporations. And that's where, you know, you as that AI plan or better CRM or what, and, you know, enterprise app plus AI startup, if you will, is learning across all the clients and getting the machine better and better at that specific function. This is a good use case because it's a well-defined area. It's an existing application, tends to follow a specific workflow, and therefore the problem is usually constrained pretty well. In terms of drinking in all the information, of course, maybe some of that is more transferable than others to other scenarios, but at least it makes you more broadly capable. My thought is here, Tim, and, and tell me if we're on the same page, you know, you take a company like Inside Sales, who maybe their goal is to, you know, score leads and prompt salespeople to do the right kind of reach out to those leads to get them to convert. If they work with a bunch of insurance salespeople and a bunch of enterprise software salespeople, and a bunch of, I don't know, people that sell wholesale produce. I have no idea. I'm just making stuff up here. That doesn't necessarily make them any better at working with car dealerships. But if they drink in a lot of car dealerships, maybe it does. My, my thought is that when we drink in examples across sectors, across industries, across behavior patterns and functions, can map those clustered examples. So if you're a new car dealership using inside sales, hopefully they're not taking the produce wholesale best practices for lead scoring and email templates and handing them to you. They're taking the car one. So I almost see it as clusters of competence as you, you, you talked about this layer on top of a behavior that you would layer and then you would kind of find those, those clusters of use cases, clusters of industries, clusters of functions. And then those would train similar instances that come in as opposed to kind of, again, the produce to cars thing. I don't know if you have a better way of explaining that or additional detail there. 
That's correct. And part of it is if you if you see enough, you know, top decile salespeople in that vertical and see their lingo or whatnot, you could probably train off of that, right? Oh, yeah. And know what language and what works for that particular domain. I think bigger productivity boost here is, you know how you mentioned, okay, lead scoring, and then you nudge that person to go do this. The next step is do it for them. And so that's the big productivity gain here yeah. is eventually it's just like, look, write all my sales emails for me to everybody in the whole world, period, done. And so I'll give you a kind of crude example, but I'm a musician. And if I had enough pieces of data I could feed into a machine, there's a TED talk about this, the algorithm would kind of know stylistically, you know, my fingerprint of music is. And yeah. I can say, okay, go do analyze that on the Beatles and then go mash that up and go write every possible piece of music I would do if I remember the Beatles. And then I'll just sift through and see the most interesting examples or something and then claim authorship and I'm done. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so, so we're moving from systems of record, which are just tools, which put all the friction on the worker to do. Then you shift to systems of engagement. Then we've got, you know, more systems of insights and scoring and analytics, but the next is systems of just the automation, the workflow automation there, where it's sort of, you know, help me do it, tell me what to do, and then do it for me. You know, I, I see this uh, dystopian future here, Tim, where you you have a system that automatically writes your sales emails, and I have a system that automatically replies to inbound sales emails, you know, and, and, then, and then the world kind of operates like that, and our calendars are always chock full. But maybe that's a good thing, you know, for certain kinds of use cases, maybe that's a good thing. But that's Your bot, talk to my bot, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> hey, man, exactly. If only we could have done that with this interview, that would have been better than having to go through, uh, you know, the trans tech conference or something. Speaking of which, I wanted to bring that up. We're entering it. Era, even media can get obviated and been done away with. We've got robo news writers, but with deep fake video generation technology, I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, you know oh, the latest I, I articles and demos out there, totally right? Totally have. Yeah. Where, so imagine I could give uh, video blogs in every language and just have the machine generate it for me. You know what yep. I mean? <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, oh, man. Well, this is. I mean, you saw the, the Chinese news anchor simulated news anchor. I, I frankly think. I spoke about this for Interpol in terms of law enforcement implications, and I'm actually speaking about this for the United Nations in Shanghai in like three weeks. This whole programmatically generated content deal, back in the day, Tim, images and video used to be artifacts of things that actually happened. And to shift that within you know, 12, 18 months from they used to be artifacts of things that happened to they are whatever we want them to be, leaves people ingesting media in a very wacky and wild place. I think the social implications of that would have to be their own podcast, but let it be known, audience, that Tim will agree there that that's pretty disruptive stuff. So I mean, we could fling into a little bit more detail here, Tim, because I like where you're going. In terms of these verticals, it sounds like is the ball game to, you mentioned those different phases. Initially, we are having the human label everything, and maybe we're giving them little hints about what to do. Then the system starts to um, prompt humans and maybe give them, hey, you know, you have this sale, this email you can send to this person, pick one of these two or three variants because we think these are going to work. And then you get to an even deeper level where that email already went out at 8.05 in the morning and it sounds exactly like you and it's a completely unique template and you never even touched it. So we're going to go through those phases. Is the point to get to a place where one company, whoever you are, whatever layer you become, you become the layer that meshes with a behavior in the world and you get so many instances that of that behavior that your solution now is better trained, more capable than any other out-of-the-box solution would be. And then people have to basically go to you because your snowball of machine learning, improving outcomes, ease of sort of use is rolling so much faster than everybody else that there's really nothing left to do but kind of at least monopolize your slice. I'm not saying you'd become standard oil. I'm just saying you'd monopolize your slice, your use case. Is this sort of what a lot of these firms are shooting for here? 
I believe so. First step is, can I make my workers smarter or just more productivity by automating and taking more things off their plate or doing things for them in a better way in that workflow? What I do wonder, though, will that lead to an escalating arms race of these, let's call them assistant bots, if you will? So if I have sales bots that know exactly the language to get me to open it, but then I now have a sales defense bot, which is screening all the inbound ones in. And what if you get this ongoing cat and mouse game of who can hack whose attention? Uh, the, The exact same analogy applies to programmatic advertising. The exact same yes. analogy applies to, in some ways, applies to even programmatic trading. I think you get to a world where it's table stakes to use these tools, and then it's table stakes to use these tools against these tools. You know, I hope we'll survive, Tim. Uh, fingers crossed. So it sounds like I'm going to clarify one detail before we wrap up on this interview, because you've actually brought out a bit of nuance on this dynamic that I haven't heard before that I really liked. You talked about identifying an existing behavior. And it sounds like you see the entry point here in many cases as looking at the workflows, very common, important workflows in a business that already happen, not reinventing the wheel, but saying, okay, can we take what's already happening there? Can we plug ourselves in as a valve that kind of drinks in those sets of activities and adds a little bit of value to them until the point comes where that little valve is 100% optimized better than any human could do it. Is that a good mental way of thinking through these kind of AI application areas? Is that a, a lens through which sort of good startup ideas might be generated? Is that kind of what you were touching on? I just want to make sure I'm nutshelling your ideas correctly. It is. And this has to do with in the startup world, you have limited time and money and your biggest bottleneck is go-to-market strategy. And so if you have to evangelize or paint pictures of what could be done with AI machine learning as a platform or general tool, you will run out of money. And so again, back to behavior change, instead of a whole new fangled workflow, it's easier to say, look, you already use CRM or marketing automation. Here are your ROI metrics of success. What if I can double, triple, 10x that now? What if I can get you more productivity or cost savings on something you already do? It's an easier sales pitch. And that's been the flaw of the first generation of AI machine learning startups where they come with this general toolkit and say, I can do stuff for you. What can I do for you? And then the customer's response is a blank stare says, I don't know. What can you do for me? 100%. I mean, we, we still see that, Tim. I mean, companies raise, you know, 40, 60 million dollars and you go on their website and the use case list is three page scrolls. Because they still haven't exactly, you know, they got a lot of smart people, right? They went out, they went to really good schools, but they, they don't know exactly what they map onto to make money for people. They, they just know that machine learning models could be used for these 18 things. They haven't been able to maybe speak the lingo of an individual sector and make it click. I certainly hope that more of that happens. Um, hopefully this lesson, it's, it's almost a bit of a conservative lesson in some way, but hopefully this lesson translates. I know we didn't get to get into it because we're running out of time here, but translates to the enterprise world where enterprises don't want to have to evangelize internally. They just want to layer a smarter capability on top of what's already going on to be able to kind of bring AI to life. I imagine a similar lesson, Tim, in closing, I want to just double check on your thoughts on this, but a similar lesson might apply to big businesses who are saying, how do we bring AI internal? It sounds like you might have to go the same route. You might have to see what's already happening, make it seamless, make it add value off the cuff, and don't need to convince your whole darn employeeship here that uh, AI is the future and you should do these newfangled things. Correct. On the big business side, the advantage they have is they probably already have giant pools of proprietary data. It's just that nobody has taken the time to mine through or sift or know how to. And that's where you can engage a startup or specialist to come in and do that. It's sort of like, I have this backyard full of stuff. I know there's jewels in it. I don't know where to look. Can you go prospecting for me? 
Yeah, 100%. And I think a lot of startups are getting their first foot in the door for sales. I mean, you see as much of this as I do, Tim, in this very consultative method where honestly, the companies are bringing them in because they know AI is a big deal, but they don't know what the heck it is. And they're sort of like, you know, almost sometimes they're they're just frankly kind of mooching for the expertise, but sometimes they want to bring them in, you know, prove that they're smart, see if they can talk enough shop to make it click with the business case and then potentially buy their newfangled solution. So I think startups are going to, selling into the enterprise anyway, are going to have to suck up the fact that that's, that's a part of their reality right now. So anyway, that's it that we have for time here, Tim. But I sincerely appreciate you being able to share some of your thoughts here on AI and industry. This has been great, and thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.